Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This week's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skin care, hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skin care needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, The Skin Store is offering listeners 20% off of your next purchase by using the code POD, that's code P-O-D, for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod dot list. Skin Store, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. Let's start the show. What's up, listeners? Welcome to another episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox, your number one source for hip-hop and R&B news. My name is Ahmad, and I am your host. It is Sunday, March 28th, and this is another exciting episode of Thinking Outside the Boombox. Welcome back. Um, Very excited uh, for this week's episode because the Back in the Day Tournament Volume 2 rolls on. Um, I have my wife, Karen, back in the studio. Hello. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Um, So last week, we uh, conducted uh, all of the play-in games for the Back in the Day Tournament Volume 2. There were 16 um, albums that were playing to make it into the first round of the tournament. Eight of them made it. Eight of them, sadly, we had to say goodbye to. Um, So in the Dig Deeper segment for this week, we will start the first round. Um... So we're only going to be looking at the Critics' Choice Conference. Um, if you have the bracket in front of you, that is um, all of the albums on the left-hand side, uh, the ones, uh, the conference that consists of Grammy winners and Grammy nominees. 
um, in the boys to men division and the legacy division. Um, next week, we'll tackle the fan love conference uh, round one. And so after this episode, uh, we will have locked in eight albums that will make it to the Sweet 16. So very exciting. Um, so the song of the week in the press play segment for this week um, are going to be featured in the podcast newsletter. We're going to jump right into the Dig Deeper segment so that we can get to the tournament. Um, but all of your hip hop and R&B news is still going to be available via the newsletter um, you can get that in two ways. Go to thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com, put your email address in in the homepage, and boom, every week you will receive the podcast newsletter with all the links um, to new music, new music videos, um, albums you should check out um, right in your inbox. Or if you don't want it in your inbox, you can go to the newsletter tab uh, at thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com and you can see all the newsletters from each week there. Um, one new addition to the website um, under the extra content tab on at thinkingoutsidetheboombox.com, there is a back in the day tournament section. So there you can find um, you can find photos of the bracket from the Volume One tournament, the Hip Hop tournament, as well as uh, the current Volume Two tournament. Uh, I'll be updating that as we progress into each round. Um, I don't believe it's there yet, but um, soon each photo will link to the episode um, that corresponds to to that round. So you can look for that in about a week. Um, so without any further ado, let's jump right into the Dig Deeper segment. Welcome back to Thinking Outside the Boombox. Let's jump into round one, part one of the Back in the Day Tournament, volume two. Karen, how are you feeling? I'm feeling good. I'm feeling ready. Feeling critical. Okay, okay. Yeah. Excited to jump in. All right. Um, So, we will be discussing all of the albums in the Critics' Choice Conference, um, starting with the Boys to Men division. Those matchups are the one seed... Uh, Black Messiah by D'Angelo and the Vanguard versus the nine seed Her by Her. The four seed Wake Up by John Legend in the Roots versus the five seed Beauty Behind the Madness by The Weeknd. The three seed Lemonade by Beyonce facing off against the six seed Black Radio by Robert Glasper. And the two seed Channel Orange by Frank Ocean facing off against the seven seed 24 Karat Magic by Bruno Mars. Um, we discussed last week um, how it seems like, you know, this is this is Lemonade's tournament to lose. Um, I'm excited to start the first the first round of its assumed dominance. We will see <laughs> if um, you know it it is as dominant as we assume it to be. Um, I have a feeling it doesn't have much to worry about this round, but we'll see about yeah. the future ones. Things could heat up later on. So, um, let's start with the first matchup. We've got Black Messiah coming in at the one seed, very critically acclaimed, um, highly critically acclaimed, versus the nine seed Her. Her beat Layla Hathaway live in the play-in game to get to this matchup. But, um, you know, you win a play-in game and you have to go up against the top seeds. So, let's see how it does. If you remember, the five categories... Um, that determine the winners are success, achievements, quality, cohesion, and legacy. 
So let's start with success. Her has sold at least 1 million units, while Black Messiah has sold at least 157,000 units. So Her uh, jumps out and takes a 1-0 lead in the series. Uh, moving on to achievements. Um, let's start with Grammys. Both albums won the same amount of Grammys, um, but Her has an extra nomination. She has an Album of the Year nomination, so I think Her has a slight edge um, in the achievements so far. Uh, Billboard. Her had incredible staying power, lasting multiple years, but Black Messiah ranked higher on um, on the Billboard charts. So I would say that Black Messiah kind of ties it up there, or do you think that her staying power should give her the lead there, even though she ranked lower on the charts? I would be inclined to consider that a draw, but that's not helpful. So I would give the edge to Black Messiah. <laughs> okay, okay, that's that's fine. That's that's what I had as well. Um, and then records and miscellaneous achievements. Um, I actually don't have any for Black Messiah, but her had eight certified records, and by certified, I mean the RIAA. Um, you know, certify the sales of a record, 500,000 gives you a gold record, a million gives you platinum, and then if you get to 10 million, you get diamond. So her has uh, three platinum records and five gold records, while uh, Black Messiah doesn't have any. So I think that officially gives her um, the win in the achievements category, and she jumps to a 2-0 lead. Which is surprising. Yeah. Um, you know, surprising considering the albums, but when you look at the time periods, it's not as surprising because, um, you know, it's, it's it's hard to sell physical records once you got past those, like, 20, like, 2013, something like that. So. And it was still sort of early days for streaming platforms, too, in 2014. So I would guess that most of D'Angelo's audience hadn't necessarily hopped onto the Spotify Apple Music train yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so quality. What did you what did you think about the quality category between these two? I I think now that we're sort of out of the play in round, it's a little bit harder to make a distinction. All of these albums are incredible, but I would have to give the quality edge to Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um I think that for as long as D'Angelo was gone it is striking that this album was so uh, distinct from his previous work, so uh, aware of the times uh, without being overwhelming. He still brought the same like smooth vocals and frankly beautiful instrumentation throughout the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would give him the edge there. What do you think? Yeah, uh, 15 years off for D'Angelo between his his previous album and this one. Um, I also give it to Black Messiah. It was widely, you know, well-regarded as one of the best albums to be released in 2014. It was my favorite R&B album from that year. Um, he managed to make an album that musically functions incredibly well outside of the strength and impact of the lyrics and the, you know, the substance of it. Um, but I think it's an even better album when you consider what D'Angelo set out to say in this album and how he did it. Um, the charade was an incredible song. Um, you know, he, he set out to, to release this album earlier than intended after, um, Michael Brown, 
uh, Trayvon Martin and the n- not just that, but the verdicts that that came down from all of those incidents. Um, so he felt t- it was timely to release this album then, and it's just just incredible. And then also the love songs on the album are ridiculously good. So I think this was a tough matchup for her, but yeah, Black Messiah uh, makes it a two one lead for her. Cohesion. Um, this is also Black Messiah for me. Um, I think the album flows well musically and the themes of love juxtaposed with the political themes actually play nicely. Um, and, you know, they don't kind of like mash up against each other. They kind of uh, complement each other nicely. And I think this album is just much more focused than, you know, hers album, which was kind of the combined effort of the two EPs. Um, what did you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Black Messiah was deeply cohesive and probably well edited considering the amount of material he must have just in the vault oh, yeah. from that 15 year lapse. Mm-hmm. Um, hers project being one of her most prominent early projects, I mm-hmm. think maybe could have used some additional editing. True. Um, yeah, I would, I would give that to Black Messiah. Okay. So it's tied two to two. It comes down to legacy. Um, Legacy, no question. This was Black Messiah for me. Um, Politically charged R&B albums don't come around too often. um, And we certainly weren't getting a lot in 2014. We probably received a few more now, um, you know, with Solange's uh, seat at the table and more. Um, You know, I think the way that he speaks on, you know, the the way that black people were treated um, in this society... uh, you know, kind of resembled Sly and the Family Stone and the the album they put out, I think it was called There's a Riot Going On. They released it in the 70s. Um, it was a very, you know, politically kind of charged album, but R&B and like funk focused, um, an album that they, they titled in response to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Mm. They were like, there's a riot going on, Marvin, mm. and let me tell you about it. Um so not to mention, this was D'Angelo's first album in 15 years, and it's amazing. He showed that he's still got it. He introduced himself to a generation of people who probably didn't know his music that well. Um, he was able to bounce back from all the personal issues that derailed his career in the first place. Um, the alcoholism, things like that. Um, the fact that, and I actually didn't know this until I researched this album, but apparently D'Angelo struggled with the fact that he was a sex symbol Um uh, you know, in you know, from his music, and that like really like mentally like broke him, and I was like, huh. I do remember hearing that after the reaction to the "How Does It Feel" video, mm-hmm. uh, he sort of took a step back. So that makes sense. But like, D'Angelo, you're beautiful. We love you. It's fine. Yeah, and it's like it's a beautiful video. Like, what's the <laughs> what's the problem? Um, but I, I get it. Um, that was just surprising. And so, you know, he he was able to he easily could have, you know, let all of that just derail him forever. And then we just never heard from D'Angelo again. And it certainly seemed like, you know, a 15 year absence that that was what was going to happen. But um, he came back, uh, made an album that means something, has some impact. Um, And now, you know, he's hinted at a new album coming out this year. We'll see if it, you know, materializes. He did that versus quote unquote, cause he was just, it was just a concert. Um, but he did that versus a few weeks ago. Um, I think black Messiah was D'Angelo's Renaissance. And so for that, it's legacy is very strong. Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's worth noting 
with the recent wave of protest music that we've gotten over the course of 2020, I think that Black Messiah put a stake in the ground in terms of what protest music can look like now. Mm, yes. Uh, so for that reason, its legacy, I think, will will sort of sustain throughout the decades. Yeah, and you could argue, you know, her just won a Grammy for Song of the Year a couple weeks ago for her song, I Can't Breathe, um, a protest song in its own right, a beautiful R&B protest song in its own right, likely influenced in a way by what D'Angelo did with his album here. So I think, um, no question, uh, Black Messiah wins the legacy category and it advances to the Sweet 16, um, beating her three to two. So congratulations to D'Angelo and Black Messiah. Uh, moving on to the 4-5 matchup. We have Wake Up by John Legend and the Roots facing off against Beauty Behind the Madness by The Weeknd. Um, excited for this one. You know, your um, opinions on The Weeknd have caused quite a stir in the thinking outside the boombox um, social media platforms. Um, so ex- I said what I said. <laughs> Period. Okay, all right. Standing by that, I respect that. Um, so, you know, excited to see what comes out of this matchup. Um, starting with success. Uh, oh, sorry, actually. Let me let me give you some stats. I didn't do that for the last one. Um, Wake Up uh, by John Legend and the Roots, released September 21st, 2010. Beauty Behind the Madness by The Weeknd, released August 28th, 2015. Success. Wake Up sold at least 273,000 units. While Beauty Behind the Madness sold at least 4 million units, has a four-time platinum certification, Beauty Behind the Madness takes a 1-0 lead. No surprise there. Um, Achievements. So, Grammys, Wake Up is three of four at the Grammys. Uh, One Grammy win for Best R&B Album and three Grammy nominations with two wins. Beauty Behind the Madness is two out of five. So... I think that we value the wins over the nominations, first of all, here, uh, regardless of the fact that Beauty Behind the Madness was nominated more times, uh, Wake Up's, you know, percentage, win percentage is higher, so I think it takes a lead here with the Grammys. you agree? I agree. Okay, so Billboard, this one easily goes to Beauty Behind the Madness. Incredible staying power, uh, 267 and 268 weeks on the Billboard 200 in the top R&B charts. Um, of course, it also reached number one on all three charts, um, while Wake Up did not do as well. So uh, Beauty Behind the Madness kind of makes it a closer game there. Going into the records and achievements, Beauty Behind the Madness has one diamond song um, and six platinum songs, um, while none for Wake Up. Uh, so I think this gives Beauty Behind the Madness officially the achievements win. It takes a 2-0 lead. Um Sometimes it can be tough to overcome these early 2-0 leads by an album, but, you know, depending on the album, sometimes uh, if it's just really a better album, usually it does the legwork to win those last three games. So let's see if Wake Up can do that here. We'll see. Uh, Quality. I think this actually goes to Wake Up. Um, I do think Beauty Behind the Madness is a good album, and The Weeknd delivers an album light years better than his last album at the time, which was Kissland. Um, but John Legend is one of the best R&B artists of our time. The Roots are one of the best groups of our time, not even like, you know, limiting that to hip hop, just one of the best groups and bands of our time. 
Um, and, you know, John Legend and the Roots covering lesser known soul songs with the Roots unique instrumentation and takes on each song was an incredible idea. And I think it was executed well. I think John showed off his versatility and really stretched himself. And it's a solid piece of work. What are your thoughts? I'm going to shock everybody here. Uh Uh, I actually gave this one to Beauty Behind the Madness. Okay. Um, I have listened to Wake Up no fewer than five times in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would say um, there are a couple of standout tracks, and there's no doubting the, the skill that John Legend and the Roots bring to the table here. However... Mm -hmm. There's a reason that I, it's not in my top projects for either one of those groups. Mm-hmm. I think some of the tracks in the middle there are a little forgettable. Um, perhaps because some of them are, many of them are covers. Okay. Um, on the other hand, although I do have my doubts about The weekend, most of The weekend songs that I like are on this album. Oh, okay. Um, so for me... Losers often earned it are my my top songs from really? this project. Really, you like losers? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay, that's a surprise. I'm a labyrinth fan. It turns <laughs> oh, <out>. okay. <laughs> um, and I, I think he and the weekend work together well. Right. Um. Anyway, with that being said, I also want to point out that this is the second time the song "Little Ghetto Boy" has appeared in this tournament. Yes. So I think we're. Giving the the old school R and B a a fair shake here. Yeah, I mean Donny Hathaway has uh, influenced many, including his daughter and John Legend, apparently. Yeah. So, um, okay, so you have Beauty Behind the Madness winning three zero. I have it two one. Um, what did you think about Cohesion? Hmm. I mean, I, I I would give Cohesion to Wake Up, um, even though. The weekend sort of stays in the like coke fueled pop lane for this album. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Wake up is sort of very rooted in that old school new school mix um, that they bring to light again by by employing lots of covers but using a lot of twenty tens hip hop production. Of course. Um... I agree. I think both of these albums are cohesive in different ways. I think Beauty Behind the Madness flows very well, and the energy and the vibe that The weekend starts with kind of persists and pulses throughout the entire album. Wake Up sounds classic but fresh, thanks to The Roots and John Legend's performances, and that sound is very consistent, um, so I give it to Wake Up. So I have it tied at 2-2. You have it 3-1 Beauty Behind the Madness, so not an official win yet. Um, let's go to Legacy, which I think puts the nail in the coffin. Um, I think Wake Up is an underrated album that is rarely thought of when considering both John Legend and the Roots catalogs. Um, it's regarded as more as, I think, a short departure for the artist than an album that has a lasting legacy for either. Whereas Beauty Behind the Madness was The weekend's best album at the time and is still his best-selling album. Um, time will tell if After Hours will will beat that um half of the weekend's top 10 highest selling records come from this album including his two biggest records which includes a diamond record um of which there are are less than 50 there are less than 50 diamond records in the history of music i mean since since the riaa was created was 
established. Um, and The Weeknd has one of them. Um, I believe it's uh, his diamond record is for The Hills. I meant to say that earlier. Um, I would have assumed it was Can't Feel My Face. Can't Feel My Face is, I think, very much platinum. Like, I think it might be like seven or eight. I think it's on its way to diamond maybe within some years. Um, but yeah, it was The Hills. Um, this album skyrocketed The Weeknd into the pop heavens. It gave him his first Grammys. Um, he got a theme song for a movie. I mean, not a great movie, but for a movie yeah. out of this. They don't give those out too Better easily. Better song than a movie, to be clear. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a good song. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think I think that album set the stage for what The Weeknd has been able to do with After Hours currently. So I think its legacy, um, you know, is hard to touch. So I give it to Beauty Behind the Madness. Um, yeah. Do you agree? I'm with you there. Okay. So you uh, had The weekend and Booty Behind the Madness winning 4-1. I had it 3-2. Either way, it advances to the Sweet 16 to face Black Messiah by D'Angelo. Um, so that should be an interesting matchup. Um, okay, let's get into the 3-6 matchup. Lemonade by Beyonce released April 23rd, 2016. Facing off against Black Radio by Robert Glasper. Um, released February 28, 2012. Success. Approximately 3 million units sold for Lemonade. And Black Radio has unknown sales. So Lemonade takes a 1-0 lead. Achievements. Uh, same amount of wins. They both have one win, but Lemonade had two extra nominations, so it takes a lead there. Uh, Billboard. Uh, Lemonade has done way better on the charts, reached number one on all three charts, um, and stayed there much longer than Black Radio, so it extends its lead, and then when we get into the records and achievements, Lemonade continued Beyonce's incredible run of all of her albums debuting at number one, and she was the first female artist to have 12-plus songs chart at the same time on the Hot 100. Um, It also has three platinum songs, um, so just a route in game two, the achievements category, Lemonade, uh, up to up. Quality. Um, this is Beyonce's best album. From a storytelling and a conceptual perspective, it's her most focused album. And I feel like it's also her most personal and her most important to date. And I don't think there's anything that Robert Glasper can do to combat that. Now, let me say, from a quality perspective, Black Radio is excellent. Um, Black Radio kind of took a jazzy R&B jam session uh, with Robert Glasper and his music friends and turned it into an album that was cohesive, had a great sound throughout. It was excellent. But, you know, Beyonce. Yeah, there's just no beating (laughs) the power of a story. And while Robert Glasper, again, as I sort of mentioned last week, pulled off something fantastic here, bringing all these R&B legends together uh, for a really cohesive jam session, Lemonade's got to take the win. Yeah, yeah. Um, sorry to Robert Glasper. Just really came up against some um, some bad matchups to start both of his albums. Black Radio and Black Radio 2 are incredible albums, but... Um, you know, wasn't wasn't enough to get past Leanne Lahavis last week uh, for the second version and the first version. You know, just a tough matchup against Beyonce. 
um, you can thank the critics. You know, the rankings were based off of those Metacritic scores. And, you know, that's just how it, it shook out for Robert Glasper. Um, we're going to be talking a lot more about Lemonade in the future. So I won't go into a discussion about cohesion and legacy, mainly because I think those are the two categories that it will be tough for any album to to beat Lemonade on. Like the legacy, more so the cohesion, but the legacy also... Um, it's at the top of the game uh, for those two. I think there are some albums who might have a chance, but they're going to need to take some of those uh, success and achievement categories to get a win over Lemonade. Um, so I'll leave those discussions, but I will say it would have been a clean sweep. Like I, I think it would have beat Black Radio in the cohesion and the legacy category. So uh, do you agree about that? Yeah, I do. I also do want to shout out Two of my favorite things about Black Radio, sure. um, and that's uh, the song "Gonna Be Alright" mm. with Jill Scott. Uh. That song is part of my heart and my music collection forever. <laughs> um, and I also loved that he included the snippets of the artists warming up. Yeah, as yeah. Part of that album, I think that's such a cool idea. We get a little peek behind the curtain. I w- always wanted to know what Brandy sounded like when she was just sort of la la la. Just riffing, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it was great. It was that was definitely a, a part of it that kind of helped the cohesion of it. it. It really just sounded like one long jam session. He just had all. He obviously didn't have all of these people in the studio at once, but it kind of sounded like it with the the vibe of it. it. Was just like, all right, Erica, you're up next. Um, let's just play some stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, excellent. Um, Lemonade, the first complete sweep of the series with a 5-0. You know, it doesn't matter because the third win officially gets at the win, but sometimes I just like to see if it if there would have been any 5-0 wins, and it's a true sweep. So Lemonade, dominant early, just as we predicted. Uh, we'll see what happens next week. Um, this next matchup determines its opponent. We've got the two-seed Channel Orange uh, released... July 10th, 2012 versus the seven seed 24 Karat Magic by Bruno Mars released November 18th, 2016. Uh, 24 Karat Magic knocked off Unapologetic by Rihanna in the playing game to get here. And now it faces Frank Ocean. Uh, success. Channel Orange has sold at least 686,000 units, while 24 Karat Magic has sold at least 3 million units. So 24 Karat Magic takes a 1-0 lead. Achievements. 24 Karen Magic is 6 of 6 at the Grammys. That is tough to beat. Um, as tough to beat as um, Lemonade's cohesion and legacy, legacy categories. Like, beating the achievements of 24 Karen Magic is going to be tough. I remember watching that Grammys and, you know, waiting for some of those awards to go to some, I won't say more deserving artists because I think Bruno Mars made an incredible album and some incredible songs, but just, you know, some other artists, some different artists, and Bruno just racked up, you know, six Grammys, you know, that year. Um, So it takes the lead there. Uh, Billboard, it stayed on the charts longer, and it ranked higher as a whole, so it extends its lead there. And then if we go to records and achievements... um, Bruno became the second artist behind Carol King to win Record of the Year and Song of the Year for two songs from the same album. Mm. Um, Channel Orange has one platinum song and three gold songs. Uh, 24 Karat Magic has four platinum songs. Two of at least are five times platinum, um, which I think kind of 
gives it a little extra push. I consider that to be like the halfway point to a diamond album. So I think if you do get to that five time platinum, that it does mean something serious. Um, and also one gold song. So I think uh, 24 Karat Magic routes Channel Orange here in that achievement category as well. Do you agree? I agree. Okay, so it is 2 0. Um, 24 Karat Magic, uh, seven seed coming in and taking the first two games. Quality. What are your thoughts? I feel like the quality score gives us a little bit of room to branch out and add our own editorialization about mm-hmm. what we consider quality to mean. So for this matchup, I took a look at the originality. I think that really drove my decision here. Mm. Channel Orange, when it came out, didn't sound exactly like anything else that I had ever heard. Mm-hmm. Um, it obviously has some R&B influences, but I think what Frank Ocean does here is more of an achievement from a like adding something new to the conversation perspective than 24 Karat Magic. The, mm-hmm. the influences are extraordinarily clear um, for Bruno Mars <laughs> on this project. Yes. Uh, and for that reason, I give the win to Channel Orange. Yes, uh, I did as well. I thought it was easily Channel Orange. It's one of the most beautiful, well-crafted albums I've seen in a while. Um, Frank sounds incredible on the album. So many of the songs are thought-provoking. He has a real way with words. Many of the songs are poetic in nature, and his vocals and delivery really outshine the production on the album, although the production is great as well. Um, So I think it gets the win here as well. 24 Karat Magic now leads 2-1. to Uh, cohesion I feel that even when Frank Ocean is talking about love on this album um, the tone of this album can be so solemn and sad like he's talking about love but it's a sad love like it's it's like this love hurts Um, (laughs) and that's not a bad thing I think it's consistent and it persists throughout the entire the entire album in a beautiful honest way um, the film references, the audio from his mother kind of help tie everything together nicely, as well as like the TV kind of concept that he's going with, like, you know, what we're listening to is like, you know, like we're watching a TV channel, um, or a TV station. Um, and the songs are the different things that are playing on that station. And I think, uh, it works really well. Um, and so I give cohesion to Channel Orange, even though, uh, 24 Karat Magic, was very cohesive, but just the cohesion that Frank did, or like how cohesive Channel Orange was, it was on a different level, I think. I, I'm going to disagree here. I oh. gave cohesion to 24 Karat Magic. Wow. I think, and let me know if I said this last week when we talked about Bruno Mars, but someone uh, recently mentioned that Bruno Mars, even at his worst, sounds like the best throwback cruise ship singer you've ever heard and like you're gonna go to the show and you're gonna have a good time uh-huh. this entire album i think is just like funky hit after funky hit um it's a party mm-hmm. um the yeah this just the the tonal consistency even in the slower songs mm-hmm. like i could picture being in like a repurposed bridesmaid dress <laughs> On a cruise ship. Oh, man. <laughs> Slow dancing to Versace on the floor. So okay. I, I give him the cohesion win for that. All right. So you have Bruno Mars winning this matchup 3-1. to one. Uh, I have it 2-2. Two to two. 
So let's move on to legacy then. What are your thoughts on legacy? If you, if you, uh, I, I won't, I won't contextualize it. What, okay. what do you have on legacy? Okay. Uh, well, that's that's tough because this does mark a distinct shift in Bruno Mars's catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, he was sort of in a much more poppy lane. Oh yeah. Prior to this album, um, but Channel Orange, uh, I think is the best Frank Ocean album that we may ever get. Ooh. That's. I mean, no, that's, that's a fair. little bit rude of me, considering he's so young, but he's also a recluse. Yeah. Um. So I think that. For, I'm just gonna wager right now that in ten years, when we're looking back at what the defining album of Frank Ocean's career is, it's Channel Orange. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't think I would say the same for Bruno Mars. So I give this to Channel Orange. Okay, so you have. Uh, it three two in twenty four karat magic's favor. I also gave this to Channel Orange. Um, music has been scarce from Frank since the release of Channel Orange, and everything he's released since then has been held up against Channel Orange because it's his magnum opus. You know his most important work. Um, it's one of the best albums ever, and it has inspired many Ooh. artists. Best albums ever. Huh? In la- in the world? Like R and B albums. Sorry, I. I, I, I... <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> My bad. I didn't I didn't put that that qualifier in front of it. My bad. <laughs> um, I think it's one of the <laughs> one of the best R and B albums ever. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it has inspired a bunch of artists, including um, artists in this tournament, like Lucky Day, his painted album. Um, one could even argue that Billie Eilish is a close descendant of Frank's work. Um, he's become one of the, you know, more prolific storytellers of our generation. His sound is very unique. Um, and it all really started with this project. Um, I feel like this project was important because of the frame he put around understanding the human experience. You know, he came out to the world as queer before releasing this album and after thinking about you had blown up and was one of the biggest songs of the year. Um, and so I think, um, you know, he means this album and Frank Ocean means a lot to the LGBTQ community as well. Um, his vulnerability was out there for everyone to see. And I just think that's something that Bruno and his, you know, new Jack swing inspirations can hold up to. Uh, so I had it three, two, Channel Orange, and so we were going to have to go to a tiebreaker. Oh, man. Um, so, everyone listening, the way the tiebreaker works, um, Karen currently has beauty or 24 Karat Magic winning this series 3-2. I have Channel Orange winning 3-2. We are going to go to the tiebreaker round of best song. You can consider this uh, a one-round overtime game where whoever is leading at the end wins. Um, we're going to pick a, the best song from each album, put them up against each other, and whoever has the best song wins. So, uh, Channel Orange. You know, I feel like the, the obvious answer is to say Thinking About You, but for me, Pink Matter mm. is the best song on this album. But there's a case that could be made for Bad Religion. It's just an incredible album. What What do you think? Do you think it boils down to those three? Do you think one of those stands out above above the others? 
Whew. Um, I think that the legacy of thinking about you mm-hmm. gives it a slight edge for me, although bad religion is so beautiful. Mm. Um, expand expand on the the legacy of thinking about you. What do you mean by that? I think that the like meandering stream of consciousness lyrics mm-hmm. of thinking about you um, sort of I, again like I guess I feel like I make this point a lot, but I I think that that song set the standard for a lot of the like newer R&B that we're getting right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, whoa, 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 Bruno, wait your turn. Yeah, he's, he's anxious. Um, sorry, go ahead. Uh, oh, man. I think it's got to be Bad Religion for me, though. Wow, okay. That song is so pretty. It is, so it's beautiful. Like, personal and raw. Um, yeah, and I, I just don't, for an album that I've listened to so much, I don't necessarily want to just defer to the the best radio hit on the album. No, no. I, and I do think Bad Religion is a better song than Thinking About You. Uh, I'm down to agree with that. Um, for uh, 24 Karat Magic, um, since you had it as the winner, what do you think is the best song on 24 Karat Magic? Do you need to see a list? Do you have it in front of you? Um, Here's a list. I already have okay. it up. Cool, cool, cool. Um, let's see. Excuse the sirens, everyone. We do live in the hood. That's so. in <laughs> Just in the city, you know. Mm, you know, yeah. Living life. Of course. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's what happens when I try to be clever and read at the same time. Uh, I would put this between uh, finesse and that's what I like. What do you think? Uh, I think it's got to be that's what I like, if it's between those two. While I... Yeah. I, I like finesse more, but I think that's what I like is a more complete song. Yes. Yes, I agree. Um, okay. Do you need a listening session or would you like to go straight into it? Uh, let's go straight into it. I think that... Uh, for, the, for the listeners, it is Bad Religion by Frank Ocean versus That's What I Like by Bruno Mars. I think Bad Religion takes that pretty handily. Yeah. Um, that's what I like is it is a, a incredible, you know, version of the type of music that Bruno was influenced and inspired by. Like his version of that style in this song is spot on. It's just like the 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 vocals of it, the instrumentation, um, you know, and, and it has an incredible bridge that kind of like breaks everything down and then brings it back. But Bad Religion from first off, from a songwriting perspective, is incredible. Um, it's a movie. He could probably Frank Ocean could probably make a short film off of Bad Religion alone. Yeah. Um, I would like to see it. Give me a fifteen minute, you know, short film called Bad Religion. Boom. I'm I'm with it. Um but then when you take the the vocals out of this world like maybe some of the best vocals on channel orange i mean he's got a lot of great ones but the passion um that you can hear like in that song the way he holds on to 
some of those notes, the way he goes into that headspace, that falsetto, when he's saying unrequited love, like toward the end, it's raw. It's uh, it's it's such a great song, and I do think it is better than that's what I like. And I would argue that Bad Religion probably would have beat most of the songs on Twenty Four Karat Magic. Yeah, no question. <laughs> okay, wow, that was. Well, I guess I won't say it's closer than I thought because I had Channel Orange winning 3-2 when I wrote this out before and it ended up winning 4-3. So, you know, it just took, you know, an extra round. Um, But wow. Well, I I guess I'm not sure if it wins 4-3 because you had it as 2. I had it as 3. It was a nail-biter either way. Yeah. Um, Wow. Shout out to you for uh, making that one uh, more interesting than I thought it was going to be. Channel Orange advances. (laughs) Um, it will face um, Lemonade by Beyonce in the Sweet 16 uh, two weeks from now. Um, I'm now feeling less confident about its chances in that matchup with how it struggled here against 24 Karat Magic. Um, but we'll see. Um, that's going to be, I think, one of the premier matchups of the entire tournament. Um, those two are... You know, I think a lot of America's favorite R&B albums from the past decade, if if somebody, if I surveyed 100 Americans and I said, what is your uh, favorite R&B album of the past decade? I think I would get Lemonade and Channel Orange, you know, up there in the top of, you know, of those survey responses. Um, so um, them meeting in the Sweet 16 is going to be fun. Uh, okay, so that wraps it up for the boys to men division. Uh, in the Sweet 16, two weeks from now, we're going to have uh, Black Messiah versus Beauty Behind the Madness and Lemonade versus Channel Orange. Uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll jump into the Legacy division. Today's episode is presented by The Skin Store. For over 20 years, The Skin Store has been the number one destination for premium skincare hair care, and beauty products. With over 8,000 different products from 300 different brands, The Skin Store has you covered for all your hair, cosmetics, supplements, and of course, skincare needs. Find your favorite brands like Elta MD, New Face, Olaplex, and more, all in one place with gifts with every purchase. Right now, The Skin Store is offering listeners 20% off your next purchase by using the code POD, that's P-O-D, for 20% off your next purchase at skinstore.com slash pod.list. Skinstore, have the confidence to tackle the day ahead. Exclusions apply. Let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Thinking Outside the Boombox. Um, the Back in the Day Tournament Volume 2 continues. Uh, let's determine the winners of Round 1 for the Legacy Division. We've got the one seed, Control by SZA. Released June 9th, 2017, facing off against the nine seed Blood by Leanne LaHavis, released July 31st, 2015. Uh, Blood beat Black Radio 2 in the play in game to get here. Uh, let's start with success. Blood's uh, sales are unknown in the US, but she did have at least 60,000 in the UK. Um, but Control sold at least 2 million units and takes a 1 0 lead. Achievements. Uh, Grammys, no Grammys for either album, but um, no Grammy wins, excuse me, for either album. Both were nominated for an album Grammy, but 
Control also has three more song nominations, so I think that gives Control the lead for this game. Uh, Billboard, incredible staying power for Control, uh, at least 174 weeks on a couple charts, um, and ranked higher uh, than Blood did, so I think Control extends its lead. And as far as records, no records or other achievements for Blood, but Control um, has certification for 79% of the tracks on the album, five platinum songs, seven gold songs, um, for 12 certifications. I think there was only 15 or 16 songs on the album. Um, so yeah, very successful, um, album. So it wins the achievements category and takes a 2-0 lead. Um, quality. What were your thoughts on Control versus Blood? Uh, I think that the concept that uh, SZA was able to weave throughout the album um, just sort of came together a little bit better than that for Blood uh, for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would give the quality win to Control. What do you think? Yeah, um, I agree. I just really like SZA's album better than Blood. Um, when it comes down to it, SZA's voice is very unique and her perspective is one that's always needed. Um, I've honestly always considered SZA similar to Frank Ocean in terms of her songwriting and her unique ability to paint vivid pictures and tell relatable stories and also the artistic direction. Um, Control is an amazing album that empowered so many women and it's just such an enjoyable listen. I also gave the win to Control. Um, So Control ekes out an, an early victory uh, winning 3-0 um, because we'll talk a lot more about Control in the future. I won't get into deep on in the cohesion and legacy, um, but I do think it would have won both of those categories. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that Leanne LaHavis makes beautiful music about grief, but there are definitely some places where her more upbeat tracks don't land. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I agree with you. I look forward to talking more about Control in upcoming episodes. Yeah, so Control, the second complete sweep of the the tournament with a 5-0 win, technically, over Blood. But, you know, the 3-0 is what matters. <laughs> um, let's go to the 4-5 matchup. This one, this one's a real one. Um, Ego Death by the Internet at the 4 seed, released June 26, 2015, Versus the five seed Freudian by Daniel Caesar, released August 25th, 2017. I had a tough time making decisions for this one. Mm. Um, Let's go with success. Neither album has known sales, so that's a tie. I really hate that these numbers are so difficult to find. Yeah, because like, obviously people have streamed... Freudian and ego death. So there are streaming numbers um, for, you know, how many streams um, ego death and Freudian have that can be converted to sales. But because Spotify and all of those streaming numbers are not accessible to anybody who like doesn't work for a label or because they haven't reached, you know, enough to get a certification, there's no way for like a person like me to just pull that data. So as far as I'm concerned, like they don't have it's not that they have no sales, it's just that they don't have enough sales to be certified 
and I don't have, you know, the power and access to get those official numbers. So it is really unfortunate. Why, why not just make that accessible? I truly don't know. And I, I feel like there's a timing issue here, too, because, like, unless an album from a lesser-known artist, with both, which both of these were when these albums came out, really just, like, takes over the charts immediately when the albums are released, mm-hmm. even if they do reach a certain level of, like, success or streams or sales, that's not newsworthy anymore by the time it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... I, I will say that RIAA does like you know even if a an album reaches a certification later down the line they do still like I, I feel like it's either a Twitter or there's a Twitter a, a account that I follow that like will like just post random stuff like that so I feel like it when one of the weekend's projects or songs went from like one of his earlier projects went to a certain certification they tweeted out about it and it made it onto blogs so it does still get acknowledged, but yes, it is like well after the fact for some of these lesser known uh, projects, and it's just I, I just want the data. Just give me the data. But <laughs> from what we have, lesser known does not mean lesser loved. So oh yes, get into the rest. That is the truth. That is the truth. Um, so achievements, both albums received and lost a Grammy album nomination, um, but Freudian went one for two for Grammy song nominations. So Freudian takes the lead. Billboard, I'm undecided here, so we can talk this one out. Um, Freudian did better on the Billboard 200. Um, it charted at 25, whereas uh, Ego Def charted at 89. But Ego Def charted higher on the other two. So, you know, we I also included for this tournament the top R&B chart, which just looks at R&B albums, and the R&B hip-hop chart, which puts R&B and hip-hop albums on the same chart, whereas the Billboard 200 is all genres. So on that all-genre chart, Freudian charted higher, 25 versus 89 for Ego Death. But on the R&B-specific and the R&B and hip-hop-specific charts, uh, Ego Death charted higher. Now, it's worth noting that Freudian, regardless of charting lower on the R&B and the hip-hop chart, still stayed there for much longer than Ego Death. Um, But, you know, I was confused as to what we should prioritize here. What are your thoughts? I think that since this is an R&B tournament, we should prioritize the charts that prioritize R&B music. Okay. Um, So there's that. And then I, I think that we have to stick with the precedent that longevity means something mm-hmm. um so then if we do that and we look at the the charts that prioritize r&b ego death would be ahead but then freudian stayed on those charts for longer so it's tough yeah um our options um is we can consider billboard a tie um, a draw a draw for that particular part of the achievements category or we can you know break it down and give it to one I say we consider it a tie okay so Freudian was already ahead from the Grammys portion so now with this draw it still remains a little bit ahead so let's jump into records and achievements um none for ego death but uh, Freudian does have five certified songs uh, two platinum, three gold. And also, I don't know if we were going to count this, but the album was a shortlisted finalist 
for the Polaris Music Prize in 2018. For those of you who don't know, the Polaris Prize is a prestigious award given out to Canadian albums. So they have their own, you know, system and, you know, they have a long list and then they, you know, break that down to, I think, like maybe 40 albums for a short list and then they award it to one. Um, And it's like a prestigious award, I feel like, at the level of like the Grammys for like Canada music. So the fact that it was a shortlisted finalist, I put it in. It it doesn't matter because it gets this win regardless, but, you know, just wanted to put it out there. You know, appreciate the context. Give it its roses. Uh, okay, it's so new roses, huh? It's new roses. Ha! <laughs> See what you did there. Song title. <laughs> um, so Freudian takes a one to zero oh to one lead with the tie from the success category. Quality. Um, I feel like there are different parts of me that like both these albums. There's the part of me that was raised in the church, listening to gospel music. Um, all the time exclusively and that part of me loves Freudian because of the gospel influences infused into R&B sounds and songwriting and then there were the Kirk Franklin and Donnie McClurkin samples used then there's the part of me that loves jazz and funk but especially loves it when those genres influence other genres like R&B and that part of me loves ego death I think the talent oozing from the internet is unimaginable mm-hmm. and they bring it all to the ego death album um it's the album that i come back to more frequently of the two albums and for that i think i give it to ego death but i could be swayed what are your thoughts yeah i'm not gonna try to sway you here i also think that ego death is the better album okay um just strictly from a listenability standpoint ego death is i think in like a 95 percent no skip album there's maybe mm-hmm. one track that i don't listen to when i go through this what's one what's that what's that do, do tell oh do you need to see uh, a list you, no it's the it's the janelle monet track and that's i'm a janelle monet fan the janelle monet track yeah there's a janelle monet feature on this album and it's she's just in like an a little at interlude after the song oh gabby the second song is yeah. that what you're talking about yeah you don't like gabby it's okay. Huh. It's just the the tone switch. I, if you're gonna add, oh, you're talking about the the like second part yes. of Gabby. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, got if, you. To got me, you. if you're gonna add another quarter of a song onto a song that's already quite strong on its own, the quarter of a song needs to add something. Huh. And I don't think that it's strong enough. Okay. Okay. I don't even skip that track all the time because. For reasons we'll talk about when we get to the next category, the album is overall very cohesive. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Freudian is a very spotty album for me. I think Mm -hmm. there are songs that I love on that album and songs that are just navel-gazy and whiny. (laughs) And he he comes across as someone who can idolize women but maybe doesn't actually like women. So, for those reasons, I'm going to go with Ego Death. We'll talk more about that later. Interesting. Um, Okay, so it's tied one-to-one-to-one. Cohesion. I actually thought that Freudian was overly cohesive. Mm. Uh, Maybe a little one-note? Well, no. so to the point that there are points on the album where... like, So the transitions in the album are mostly smooth, but there are lots of times... Where he starts the next song 
at the end of the previous song or one song bleeds over into the next song and I get the intent Mm -hmm. behind that, but it really just throws me off because I'm like, oh, this is a cool part of this song. I'm like, oh, this is a new song. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) this is great. Wait, this is a new song? Mm -hmm. And so it just, that, like, it's not a big deal, but for me to, like, think about the cohesion of it versus ego death, I was just like, ego death is such a smooth listen from front to back. Sid's vocals and the, like, theme of the album are consistent for me. And so I gave it to Ego Death. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Ego Death is extraordinarily smooth, in my opinion. Um, brings brings the funk sound into the 21st century in a less derivative way than we're getting with, like, a 24-karat magic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I, I won't go on about Freddie. <laughs> ego death wins it for me. <laughs> okay, so it's two to one to one. Ego death leading. Uh, legacy. What are your thoughts? Hmm. Actually, actually, let me give you let me give you some context. Yeah, please. So, um, so first, I think ego death is the internet's magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Um, their fourth studio album, Hive Mind, was great, and it had a lot more contemporary influences. Um, but Ego Death is the album that people discuss when they talk about the internet. Um, it was one of the first successful albums to be released after Odd Future unofficially broke up, showing that there was potential, um, for artists to flourish outside of the collective. Um, they kept Neo Soul and its specific subgenre of R&B in the forefront mm-hmm. with their traditional yet modern take on it. Daniel Caesar and Freudian departed from his gospel R&B sound in his next album, which I think was called Case Study 01 or something like that, um, exploring a more alternative sound, whether that was because he didn't want to be, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word typecast, but that's what I mean. huh? Pigeonholed. Pigeonholed um, into like the artist who mixes gospel and R&B. Whether that was the reason for it, I don't know. Um... But he also lost a lot of fans when he supported Candace Owens, uh, when he defended his friend Yes Jules, who was like a social media influencer, after she made some disparaging comments about black people and black women in particular. Um, you know, he it, it was to the point where like he defended her for her comments, called out cancel culture and was like, don't listen to my music. Like, I don't care. And so a lot of people didn't listen to his music. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, Farewell. So you could say that Freudian was the height of his career's popularity unless things turn around for him. Um, Blessed, the song Blessed also shares a legacy with that season two finale of Insecure. So there's that. Um, whatever, you know, whatever that so means to you. because it was a beautiful use of that song. <laughs> it was. It was a troll for sure. <laughs> Um, so with all of that in mind, I'm leaning ego death, but you know, I could see how you could say because of what may come of the rest of Daniel Caesar's career. And he's still making music. He was featured on that Justin Bieber song recently. His song with Brandy Love Again from the album after this actually was pretty good and did well. But you could say that, you know, Freudian was maybe the last great album that people will care about from Daniel Caesar. I think but, it's hard to make a call here because both of these are such... One is a very young group and the other is a very young solo artist with no signs of slowing down, really. Um, 
these albums also came out fairly recently. I, I think it's just hard to know exactly what the legacy will be. Yeah. Um, but just because, because of Daniel Caesar's mouth, I'm going to give it to Ego Death. <laughs> yeah, I was leaning there as well. Um, and that's not cancel culture. That's just a firm reminder that saying nothing is always an option. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so Ego Death wins three to one to one. We'll move on to face control uh, by SZA in the Sweet 16. Mm. So that'll be fun. Uh, so let's go to the 3-6 matchup. Malibu by Anderson Pac, released January 15th, 2016. Goes up against Awaken My Love by Childish Gambino, released almost 12 months later on December 2nd, 2016. So some bookends of the 2016 year here. Um, shout out uh, to Brian, friend of the of our, of us and the pod. Uh, fellow podcaster, co-host of What's in the Box Office. Um, he is he is rooting hard for Malibu here. Um, I told him I don't know what's going to happen. I had a tough time for the, with this matchup. The next two matchups, really, um, as well. So let's jump into it. Success. There were no known album sales for Malibu by Anderson Pac, but Awaken has sold 1 million units at least. So Awaken My Love takes a 1-0 lead. Achievements. Uh, Awaken My Love is one for five at the Grammys, while Malibu is 0 for one. So that, even though, you know, a lot of shoots and misses for Awaken My Love, I think it still takes a slight lead there. Awaken My Love also charted higher on all three charts, uh, all three Billboard charts, so it extends its lead there. Um, records and achievements... A gold song for Malibu versus five platinum songs for Awaken My Love. So Awaken My Love takes a 2-0 lead. Quality. Uh, I've got to go with my gut here. This I love both of these albums. They're both very good. So when it came down to it, I was just like, what, what do I like better? Like, wh- which album makes me feel more? And I think Awaken My Love is a fantastic album, but it doesn't make me feel like Malibu does. There are a few songs on Awaken that I love, but the entire Malibu album I think is incredible. It's soulful, groovy, funky, it's smooth, it's unique. It's a coming out party for Anderson Pac um, and a groove that operates on a different level than a lot of albums on this list. Um, so I gave quality to Malibu. Yeah, I, I am with you there. I think that... Malibu feels more relatable to my everyday life. Mm. Uh, it's it's R and B for the every man or, or woman. <laughs> of course, um, I think that "Awaken My Love" for the moment in which it came out, I think right after Donald Trump's election, mm. um, everything felt kind of topsy turvy. So the like the wash of like weird and scary mood that mm-hmm. Awaken My Love is felt really salient at the time. But going back now, I think the the one that I would reach for on just a, a regular day is probably Malibu. Yeah. Okay. I agree with that. Um, okay. So Malibu uh, gets a win there. So Awaken My Love now has a 2-1 lead. Cohesion. Um, I also gave this to Malibu. 
Um, I think the palpable energy and the vibe that Malibu exudes continues consistently throughout the entire album, while I think the pace of Awaken My Love can be pretty slow sometimes, and like slow to the point that it, it kind of like takes you out of things, mm-hmm. uh, me personally at least, and for that I gave it to Malibu. I would have actually given this to Awaken My Love. Okay. I think that the style that Childish Gambino went with here threads itself all the way through the project. Um, there's there's never a moment when we step back to like earlier Childish Gambino True. style. True. Um, and I think that is an achievement in and of itself. Also, I think that it's pretty tightly edited. Um, it's not a long project, but what we get is uniformly pretty high quality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you have Get Out, or... Get out. You have Awaken My Love by Childish Gambino advancing three to one. I have it tied two to two. So we're gonna have to go to Legacy. Um, what are your thoughts on the legacies of both of these albums? Well, you bring up Get Out. Um, <laughs> I literally just wrote it down because I remembered. I didn't have it in my notes, but I remembered as you were talking about it, so I wrote it down. So that's why it was in my head. Go ahead. Yes. Can you remind me of the name of the track that is in the intro to Get Out? Uh, Redbone. Redbone. Um, I, the, the movie used that track shortly after the album had been released. So I think a lot of people hadn't really listened to the entire project yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think again, like for the moment in time when both of those things happened, mm-hmm. Awaken My Love will always sort of be embedded in my memory. Um, so for that reason, I give it the win. Um, I also... I also kind of wonder what you think about Malibu in the context of the rest of Anderson Pock's career. He has released way more music since this project than Childish Gambino has. Yes. Um, I think that this is Anderson Pock's best album. Um, I think Anderson's next two albums never reached the greatness of Malibu stylistically. Um, but I do think that we will get another album like Malibu, even if it's not as good, he will make another album similar to Malibu. His style hasn't changed that drastically across his his albums post-Malibu. So that's uh, Oxnard and Ventura, I think. The While one of them is you know more hip-hop leaning, I, I feel like overall his style is pretty pretty much in the same vein as it was when he was making Malibu. His his Leave the Door Open song with Bruno Mars, that is an incredible song that, you know, is from their upcoming project together, still kind of in the same vein, kind of, of like the music that, you know, he was making on this album. Whereas, you know, Awaken was an experimental funk soul R&B album that we'll probably never get again from Gambino. Um, it was unlike anything he had made before, certainly unlike anything he's made since. Like his 3, 15, 20 album that he put out last year was more pop, R&B, and hip-hop focused with an alternative lens. Um, so I think the legacy of Awaken My Love is greater because, you know, you mentioned the time that it came out post the Trump election um, and, you know, the the way it made black people feel the way it was kind of relatable, you know, for the time. And then, of course, you know, the opening scene of Get Out, how Redbone starts it off. 
because, you know, black people, of course, had listened to Awaken My Love, Mm -hmm. you know, a ton of times by the time we were sitting in theaters for Get Out and at the toward the end of February. Um, Instantly, we were like, oh, okay, this is this movie's for us. Like we we had an idea already because of Jordan Peele and all of that. But like that opening scene of Get Out with Redbone playing it kind of like, even though this was like a horror thriller movie, it kind of puts you as, at ease as a black person. Just like, okay, mm-hmm. all right, so we're, we're going to be taken care of in this in this movie. But also, like, any horror movie that is telling me to relax is also <laughs> going to put me at edge. So I, I agree with you. This is the funkiest dog whistle I've ever heard. <laughs> For sure. So so I, I gave Awaken My Love Legacy. Uh, so I have it winning three two you have it winning four to one awaken my love advances sorry brian um i I tried my best um but you know it just that that legacy you know maybe if if one of anderson pock's albums post malibu was either just a huge flop or you know maybe more experimental i don't know but yeah it's Malibu has a, has a good legacy, but it just couldn't it couldn't stand up to awaken my loves. Excellent project, though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's get into the final matchup of the Critics Choice Conference and of the episode. Another very tough matchup. We've got the two seed Beyonce by Beyonce, self titled as it is referred to, released December thirteenth, two thousand uh, versus the seven seed Anti by Rihanna, released January twenty eighth, two thousand sixteen. Anti beat Ella May's own self titled album in the play in game to get here. So success. Beyonce sold at least two million units, while Anti sold at least three million units. So Anti takes a one zero lead. Let me turn my notes over. Achievements. Um, Anti was 0 for 4 at the Grammys. Um, disrespectful, but that is that is what happened. Um, whereas self-titled went 3 for 5. So Beyonce takes a, a small lead. Billboard, both albums reached number 1 on all three charts, but Anti stayed there for much longer. 241 weeks at the top of the Billboard 200 chart. 237 at the top of the Just R&B chart. Um, so anti kind of like brings it closer. So now here's the discussion. Records and achievements. Um, both albums have a string of achievements and it's really hard to compare them. So let me just read them. Self-titled was the fastest selling album in iTunes history at the time. And Beyonce became the first female artist to have her first five albums debut at number one. Um, a record we know she broke on Lemonade. Uh, it also has three platinum songs. Anti was the longest charting album by a black female artist in Billboard history. Um, and, you know, it came out after self-titled. So, you know, it beat self-titled in that regard as well. Rihanna was the most streamed female artist of 2016 and seven platinum songs on the album Two were more than five times platinum. So past the halfway point uh, for, you know, towards a diamond certification. So which which achievements are greater? You know, I mean, we could consider it a tie, which would make the achievements category as a whole a tie, 
or we could lean one way or the other. I personally was leaning anti, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, these are next to impossible to compare. <laughs> right? Um, uh, let's go with anti. Yeah, the the mm-hmm. reason I was leaning there was because if we look at the certifications, it had more. Um, more certifications and more, like the strength of the certifications was greater. Yeah. The longest charting album by a black female artist you know, kind of lumps Beyonce and the self-titled album in that as well. So I felt like two of the achievements that Anti achieved were directly, you know, kind of, you know, you could directly correlate them or compare them. It was just like the most streamed female artist versus the fastest selling album in history at the time. And at the time, Anti wasn't out. So who knows it, you know, but I do, I was leaning Anti. Let's go with that. Okay. So if that's the case, Anti takes a 2-0 lead. Um, let's jump into quality. Um, for me, it was anti. Um, both of these albums are great. And so I will preface this, um, for the listeners when dealing with, I mean, I think this only applies to Beyonce in this tournament when dealing with her visual albums, we are, we are considering just the music when discussing you know, quality, cohesion, all of that. We're talking about the music. Um, nothing's nothing's beating her visuals. And this isn't a tournament about visuals. It's about music. So when discussing Lemonade, we're talking about forget that the HBO film happened. I know it's hard to do, but like disassociate the music from the film. Same with the self-titled visuals versus the music. So I think both of these albums are great. I think there are an equal amount of songs from both albums that remain saved in my playlist. But at the end of the day, if I can only keep one of these albums, it's going to be anti for me. It's incredible with amazing vocals, songwriting, arrangements, and risk-taking. It was the best kind of experiment for Rihanna. It's vulnerable and confident and... You know, I, I, I give it the quality. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, and as a big Beyonce fan, that's hard for me to say, mm-hmm. but I'm also a huge Rihanna fan. So um, I think both of these albums see artists that we've known and loved for a long time going into more uh, grungy, more dark uh, territory with their lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um but from a from a full album listenability standpoint, I think that Anti is stronger than than self titled is. Yeah. So Anti officially moves on three zero against self titled. Yeah. Um, Anti will face uh, Awaken My Love in the uh, Sweet Sixteen two weeks from now. Two experimental albums um, from these artists. That'll be interesting to have them go up against each other. Um, They've also uh, both appeared in a movie together. Was it? Was, weren't Rihanna and Josh Gambino in a movie or something? Oh yeah, that movie that they made about. It's like a Barbados. Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's what I, I thought. I remembered that. I can't remember what it was called. Um, we we're going to talk a lot more about Anti's legacy, so I don't want to I don't want to give that away for future conversations, but I do want to say something about Self Titled's legacy because I don't think this would have been a true sweep i think self-titled's legacy would have edged out anti um you know beyonce popularized the surprise album 
um, and set the standards high for visual albums, even though we're, you know, we're just speaking about the legacy. I do feel like it's we have to mention that she set the standards high and like nobody was really just dropping albums like willy nilly before Beyonce did it. She stopped the world with that digital drop. She did indeed. Indeed. Um, this album would be the beginning of more personal focused works from her. You know, we talked about four uh, last week in a playing game. We'll talk more about it next week in round one. Um, but for, you know, it wasn't really as personal, like self-titled, she was talking about like, like <laughs> her and Jay-Z's sexual exploits in a limo. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very explicit. Yes. To the point. And there's Rocket, like, like that whole song, like she was, she was showing off a whole new side of herself from a songwriting and, a, a everything perspective on this album yeah beyond like her mispronouncing algebra i don't think i had ever heard anyone really clutch their pearls about beyonce wait how does she pronounce algebra 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 wow i never noticed that i gotta go back and listen to that she's she's talking about on the song one plus one uh from four everybody go back and listen to that i did not notice that no shade beyonce doesn't need to know how to say algebra for sure for sure um, she don't know how to do that. No, <laughs> she, she's saying I don't know much about algebra, but she knows that one, one plus, plus one, one equals, equals two, two, which is not algebra. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Just a classic line, classic. Oh, uh, we'll be talking iconic. about that next week. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But yeah, the, the pearl clutching that I heard just in my own circle about this project uh-huh. uh, says to me that this was a stake in the ground in Beyonce's career. Yes, I agree. Um, popularized, I woke up like this. Surfboard, um, B O R D T, surfboard. Both of those are forever, you know, in the culture now because of this album. This album felt like the beginning of a new Beyonce era, and for that, that is why I gave it um, the legacy category. Although Anti's legacy is very, very strong, we'll discuss that uh, in a couple of weeks. Um, okay, so we have. Um, half of our Sweet 16. Uh, in two weeks, we will be discussing uh, D'Angelo's Black Messiah versus The Weeknd's Beauty Behind the Madness, uh, Beyonce's Lemonade versus Frank Ocean's Channel Orange, SZA's Control versus The Internet's Ego Death, and Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love versus Rihanna's Anti. Um excited about that um next week the fan love conference we'll be doing the same thing we will complete the sweet 16 and discuss um the albums in contention uh they are trilogy by the weekend versus uh chasing summer by sir uh, I'm sorry. This tournament, I'm just having <laughs> bracket. Yeah, the yeah. bracket. I've just got. I've got the old one in front of me, so I'm trying to remember the ones that won. We've got "Sweet Sexy Savage" by Kalani versus "Shea Butter Baby" by Ari Lennox. We've got "Reality Show" by Jasmine Sullivan versus "A Seat at the Table" by Solange. We've got "Electric Lady" by Janelle Monae versus "Four" by Beyonce. We've got "Blonde" by Frank Ocean versus "Painted" by Lucky Day. We've got Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet versus Wild Heart by Miguel. 2020 Experience by Justin Timberlake versus Finn by Sid. 
And we've got Kaleidoscope Dream by Miguel versus Legacy Legacy by Jamila Woods. Big matchups, big matchups. Um, thank you, Karen, again for being here. I mean, I know you live here, but thank you for joining me on the on the show. You're welcome. Um, things are things are taking shape. I love the way things are going. Um, everybody, come back next week for for more. Um, this is Thinking Outside the Boombox, your number one source for hip hop and R and B news. Peace. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.